0: A world of history and architecture, a world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel.
1: Greetings, students. Welcome to another edition of The Professor Travel. I am The Professor Travel welcoming you to this vlog and podcast. Uh, Like Always, we try to learn more about various different destinations all over the world. We share them as a community. We continue to try and travel as much as possible in order to get a flavor for what is out there. And then on top of that, we bring back the enjoyment to the rest of the community. You can always reach me on my social media forums at uh, my website, which is theprofessortravel.com. You can also find me on YouTube at The Professor Travel. Same with Facebook and Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter at TheProfessorTR1. And then of course, find me on Blogspot at TheProfessorTravel. Today we have a wonderful visiting professor and a good dear friend and colleague of mine, uh, uh, Professor uh, Marissa Paul-Frederico. Hello, how are you? Very nice, very good. How are you doing Scott? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, welcome to the show here. Um, I wanted to get a little bit, uh, and just so my viewers are aware, can you give them a little bit of background on yourself, your credentials, and a little bit more about some of the big places that you've been to?
2: You bet. Um, Well, I actually am a professor. That is my uh, second career, I guess you could say, maybe (laughs) third. I'm not really sure. I'm a professor of uh, business. I teach all sorts of international business and uh, a variety of things. Um, I spent 25 years plus in the travel and tourism industry, so during that time, I got to travel quite a bit. I, um, I traveled all over the world, and I, I've hit every continent except for Antarctica, which is, wow. is on the list for the next year or two. Oh, wow.
1: Very nice. So you just recently got back from a really interesting trip to Iceland. Is that correct? I did. I did indeed, and it was fantastic. Awesome. Well. I know my viewers would love to learn a little bit more about that. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you selected Iceland and what some of the pre-planning
2: was that went into that? You bet. Um, well, I'm going to be really frank with you. The reason, one of the reasons I I've, I've wanted to go to Iceland, but one of the reasons was because there was an nonstop stop flight out of Portland. So that was a <laughs> motivating factor. But was- uh, also, yeah, we, you know, we, we do what we can you know, to get an on-stop flight. But uh, it, it's a very interesting country. And I'd heard that it was a place to see, um, although it is very expensive, probably one of the most expensive countries I've ever been to, uh, well, worth itself uh, by far. And, and some of the pre-planning, I, you know, because this was somewhat of a last-minute trip, um, when I do my pre-planning, I do a lot of an investigation on the Internet. And that's, that's where I start. Is by looking on the internet, looking at blogs. Uh, I, I do look at tour books just to get a, a feel for you know what's out there and what's going on, and maybe some of the you know don't miss things. Um, but that's that's really all I do. So I it, I started probably about a month and a half of planning, a month and a half before I went.
1: Wow, that is a really short planning uh, time window. That's that's very impressive. Um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, number one, I was reading up on an article earlier today about some of the nicest places to visit, or more specifically, the places where tourists are the most welcome. And Iceland came really high on that list. Did you have a wonderful
2: experience in, in meeting with the people and enjoying the culture over there? Absolutely. I, I must say, you know, especially a, a woman traveling alone. Um, And and I rented a car, so I I, I don't do tours. So I was really out there on my own. And it is perhaps the safest country I have ever been to. Um, At no time did I feel even the slightest bit of discomfort.
1: Excellent. Well, that's good to know, especially for my travelers who are interested in this. Because, I mean, we hear a lot, uh, and actually it's been, I would say relatively recent. We've only heard probably within the last few years that Iceland is a huge stop, at least for whether you're going there as a final destination or if you're going there like as a midway stop to maybe going to other locations within Europe. And that seems to be something Absolutely. emerging.
2: Absolutely, it, it's become quite popular. Um, it's been the the thought process behind Iceland's tourism bureau because Iceland Air, you know, is subsidized by the government, but they offer a free stop. And so if you're taking Iceland Air to other points in Europe, which most people are, you can actually have a free stop there. And that gives people, you know, kind of a taste of Iceland, which is really nice. And that's where they're getting so much of their tourism, aside from people just making that now a final destination.
1: Just out of curiosity, have you also traveled using other low cost carriers? I, I keep hearing about Ryanair and some other ones that are off in Europe. No.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, not a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm okay. um, not a fan of low cost carriers. Um, I am a, um, a points uh, fan, shall we say, to use really polite words. Um, <laughs> uh, and Iceland Air happens to give me points on Alaska Air. Uh, which yeah, that's a really, a really important thing for me that when I'm flying that I can get points, um, accrue points because I do have status on Alaska Air and Iceland Air happens to be one um, that is a partner. Excellent.
1: Good to know. And I did not know that. I actually have an Alaska Air account myself. And so it's really good to know that. uh, So that way, if I do want to travel over there, and by the way, uh, Reykjavik is on one of my, to bucket uh, bucket to do lists, <laughs> so I definitely want to. I think
2: I think I think it should be for everybody. Honestly, it's it, it's really it exceeded my expectations. I, I'm I'm gonna say that.
1: Wow, nice to know. Now, for those of us who are not really familiar with Iceland, um, in the pre planning process, were there any were there any things that we would need to know ahead of time? For, for example, do we need to have a visa? Are there travel medications? Do we need to adjust to a dietary regimen? What do we need to know about pre-planning for Iceland?
2: One of the beautiful things about Iceland is there's very little pre-planning required. You don't need a visa as a U.S. citizen. Uh, there are no medications you need to take. Uh, you can drink the water. In fact, I encourage you to do. So. <laughs> Excuse me, I encourage you to do so <clears throat> because it's glacial water, so it's probably <laughs> the cleanest water on Earth. Um, (laughs) sorry about that. It's okay. One of the things that I do suggest people do is make sure they're dressed appropriately.
1: Okay. And that actually transitions into the (laughs) pre-packing. So when you were pre-packing for this trip, what kind of, what type of stuff did you need to have? Is it, is it, I would imagine it's probably pretty cold there, but is it cold all year round?
2: It's not. Um, During the summer, it's very pleasant. Um, I wouldn't advise going during the summer, though, to be quite honest. And let me tell you why. Um, Summertime, you're going to be inundated with tourists. In order to to actually plan a trip for Iceland during the summer, there you're going to need to plan probably a year in advance because Iceland does not have the infrastructure. It doesn't have a lot of hotels. Uh, it has a lot of homestays and Airbnbs and things like that, but even those are expensive and do get booked up during summer. Okay, I went in shoulder season in September, and it was a lot easier. Now, fear that in not. Ma- Sorry,
1: I was going to say, for the uninitiated, what exactly does shoulder season mean?
2: Okay, good question. Shoulder season means it's it's not off season, but it's not busy season. So it, it's kind of that in between. It's really a sweet spot. It's when I prefer to travel no matter where I go. I prefer shoulder
1: season. Nice. Okay, perfect. Now, um, so you got your, you've got your gear on, you've got you're ready to go. How much did you bring with you, like package wise? Because I've seen really inexpensive flights that can go to Iceland, but
2: you can only bring maybe something the size of a backpack or, or. Right, carry uh, on. <laughs> Exactly. I wouldn't advise um, doing that particular ticket. Uh, I bought my ticket through American Express Travel, uh, which is what I typically use when I'm, because I want points. Um, sure. And they won't even sell the ticket that doesn't allow any, uh, any check-in baggage. So I, I would always suggest going the one tier up, which is allowing you a check-in bag, And and that's all you really need. You don't need a massive bag. It's a 50 pound bag. I I didn't even come close to 50 pounds. Uh, And and that's with, you know, a a nice rain jacket, you know, a a winter type jacket. Um, You want layers. It's really important in Iceland to have layers because, I mean, I come from a colder climate up in Portland, Oregon, and I'm used to it. So, there were a lot of people, you know, from India and the Middle East and what have you that were bundled up like it was the dead of winter and I was wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> so it's, it's really all relative. Um, but you do need to have layers. You need to have, you know, and, and that can bulk up your suitcase. But, you know, one one good sweater, um, I I chose alpaca socks, and alpaca sweater, because they're light and they're warmer than wool your traditional wool. So that's, you know, that's one thing I would advise. Um, I had an alpaca beanie, which (laughs) was more than warm enough. And, um, one thing, uh, you know, it depends on what someone's going for. If, if they happen to get the chance to see the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights, Mm -hmm. um, they're going to want definitely to have some good gloves. (laughs) So, um, and, and perhaps some, you know, I, I had, um, Uh, merino wool uh, under, you know, first layer, bottom layer, but I, I, and I never wore it because I, you know, again, come from a colder climate and I'm not so worried about it.
1: Do you need a scarf there too?
2: Yeah, I would advise just a little scarf. If you go out at night, I mean, if you're going in the dead of winter, that's a whole different ball game. Um, I wouldn't advise anybody going for the first time to go in the dead of winter. It is, in the Arctic region, so it, it's going to be, you know, very cold. Um, if you're going in summer or you're going in a shoulder season, yeah, you probably won't wear it unless you go out late at night, but it's, best, it's better to have it and not need it. You don't want to have to buy it there. It's expensive. Is
1: the shoulder season usually the best time to
2: see the Aurora Borealis? There's, there's a, that's a really good question. Um, shoulder season is really when the Aurora Borealis starts coming out, okay. uh, starts coming out end of August, really, that's a little early. Um, I chose, in particular, the uh, uh, the autumn equinox to go, okay. because that happens to be a time when the aurora borealis is going to be more active. Okay. But it's, again, it's, you know, to let your viewers know, it's nature. Don't plan on going with the idea that you're going to see the aurora borealis because if there are any clouds in the sky, it's not gonna happen.
1: Yeah, you, can just, you can't plan for nature. You can plan-
2: Can't plan for nature. Yeah, exactly. Yes. One of the, and, and perfect example, I'm gonna be
1: traveling to the Caribbean in uh, springtime. Uh, in order. It's gonna be my first cruise going to the Caribbean. And obviously that place is notorious for hurricanes. And so as Absolutely. a precautionary measure, I'm going to be purchasing travel insurance just so I can recoup some of my loss should the situation happen. It's always it's always yep. good to have, mitigate some of those things, I and mean, there's some things that you can mitigate, but not everything. And nature will take its toll on wherever you travel. You can go to Japan, and then I, I spoke with someone a few years ago who went to Japan yep. when they had the tsunami, and it's like, oh goodness gracious, yes. what a time to go! Yep. There. Crazy. Um, the other thing, uh, since we're since we're um, going to be transitioning into flights, uh, one thing I do want to talk to my guests, really quick, my 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 students about is. When you are looking at airfare, keep in mind those low cost fares, even though you may say to yourself, hey, I can travel with a backpack, that's not going to be an issue for me. Maybe I'll have a washer and dryer over there and it's not a big deal. Keep in mind if there is a cancellation policy restriction on those flights also, that can bite you in the the rear end. So just be precautious on that. Now, the other thing I want to also talk about is which airport you left from um, and what the parking situation was. Um, How did you where did you end up leaving from? And what was the parking situation?
2: Well, I I fly out of Portland International Airport, which uh, always ranks like one of the top airports in the country. So very proud there. Um, And there's a reason for that. Um, I rarely park at the airport. We have a train, the Max train, that literally ends at the terminal. I mean, you don't even have to walk from the train station to the airport. It is right there at the airport. So um, that's really the only way I go. I will park at the airport if I'm going on a short weekend, um, taking my little pup with me uh, <laughs> on a domestic trip. Uh, here he is. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> he likes he to travel domestically. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and the parking situation is very, very simple, but, uh, and part of the reason it's very simple and easy to navigate is because most people do take the train. Um, it's just very convenient. You actually brought up a really interesting topic that I
1: wasn't aware we could touch on, but since, since you, since you mentioned something to that extent, I want to, I want to veer off topic for just a quick second to talk about your dog and why you wouldn't necessarily want to bring an animal on an international flight. Um, there, are, there are quarantine issues that go along with that. And so you may think to yourself, oh, I want to bring my travel companion with me, or um, maybe you have a service animal. There might be some things that you need to consider ahead of time before doing something like that. So um, is that one of the reasons that you wouldn't necessarily bring your companion with
2: you? Absolutely. Um I, I again I do bring him domestically uh, and not everywhere but I I have brought him you know as far as the east coast with me before but internationally there're just too many regulations country by country uh to have to deal with it uh it, and like you said some require extensive quarantines Britain requires a 6 month quarantine so it's just not worth it. it it's leave the leave the pup at home it's it, yeah. you know they're going to be happier, you're going to be happier. Um, it, it's just something I wouldn't advise doing. Absolutely. So let's talk about the flights. Icelandic
1: air. How was the flight? What kind of seating did you have? How were the meals? And how long was the trip? They're efficient. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: the, the the air the airline itself is fine. Um, plenty of entertainment, you know, free entertainment, uh, the food is not free. Interestingly enough, it's a, from Port- Portland. It's a seven and a half to eight hour trip. The food is for purchase. Uh, it's one of the one of the drawbacks of, of doing a low cost airline. Um, however, you know, you they don't have any, you know, regulation against you bringing something on board with you. So that's not a problem. Um, or or you can buy their food, you can buy it ahead of time, you can buy it, you know, on the spot, it's not a problem, Uh, it it, it wasn't, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, considering, yeah, it's, you're, you're going on vacation, you want to buy something, the food was not bad, excuse me, on the way back, I had um, like a French bread pizza, um, (laughs) even though it was not in my diet plan, (laughs) but it, 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 it was tasty, it was, it was tasty, and, and it was, it was fine, it was, yes, way overpriced, but, you're on an airline. You're a captive you know, audience member. What, what can you do?
1: That's true. I've, I recently uh, went to Europe and I flew through uh, Norwegian Air, actually. Um, it, I flew from LAX to Venice via Stockholm. So it was quite a distance in order to do that. But it was a very yeah. similar situation. I mean, we did get, we did get a, a lunch and a breakfast mm. the next day, which was great. Um, but if you wanted snacks in the meantime, if you wanted other things, yeah, they had those for purchase. And the one thing about Norwegian airline, at least was that they had unlimited alcohol. So if you wanted wine or oh. beer, it was all free spark and sparkling wine too. I mean, it was just like really nice. amazing. So if anybody's looking into something a little bit more than coach, I highly recommend them. And again, they're not paying me for this. <laughs> I just, I really had a good time <laughs> with them. So so it sounds like you had a really, uh, it was a good, it was an efficient trip. Um, again, I would,
2: I would fly, I would fly them again. Um, I, because I have no problem with those things. Yeah. Uh, if, if someone does have a problem with that, then choose something else But I did. That's the one thing that's a problem with Iceland air. But again, for me, not a big deal.
1: Question for you. Do you have to purchase food past the security checkpoints in airports or can you bring yes. food? Through? Okay, so it is very restrictive. Yes. I never knew myself because I mean, there's some. Yeah. I've been to Portland, so I I go, I go to Portland a couple times per year for business, and they have um, a donut chain in Portland that you uh. not have <laughs> in other spots of the world. It is very interesting and very very dynamic it's called voodoo donuts it's really interesting i like it a lot and it's very creative so
2: i, like, I gotta tell you only tourists buy voodoo Donuts.
1: <laughs> i'm a tourist i enjoy these characters.
2: so but well, yes well it, one one thing i will tell you about portland airport again um you know and i, I, I you know you know i was i'm from la and lax i just assess school um but portland airport is so fantastic Uh, They have kind of a rule. They don't they don't have, you know, host international, uh, you know, your typical fare are All of the restaurants and food places in Portland Airport are from local uh, local restaurants that are actually in the city of Portland. They're annexes and they have not raised their prices above Main Street Portland prices. That's that's one of the rules. They can't. So when you're getting something to take on board at Portland Airport, grab anything. There are so many things to choose from. They all do takeaway that you can bring on the airplane and just fantastic food. I mean, Portland is a foodie city, so um, highly recommended.
1: There was two other things I was thinking about mentioning about the Portland Airport specifically that it's also relatively unique, just in case my travelers are ever up in that area. Number one it's one of the few airports I've been to where not only do you see domestic and international flights, but sometimes you'll actually see military flights coming into the airport yeah. as well. I was really quite amazed to see fighter jets coming into the airport. I was like, what is that? So that's something yeah. that's definitely worth in, worth seeing that's a little different than there. And then the other thing, uh, a couple of times when I've been to the airport, they've had students from the University of Portland, and oftentimes there are musicians who will be performing yeah. inside the airport. So you get a free concert of various different instrumentals throughout different spots of the airport. It's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, a Portland, Portland Airport is really fascinating. It's a microcosm of Portland itself. Um, yeah, there are musicians. Um, there's even a movie theater. Um, The historic Hollywood movie theater put an annex, a small annex in uh, the terminal after, you know, past security where you can go and watch uh, short subject films. It's free. You just go in and sit down, watch short subject films. Um, Yes, the military. I was there one time when the fighter jets were taking off and the entire terminal shook. (laughs) But it was everybody was glued to the windows because it was just. It's kind of majestic to watch, actually. Uh, so, and it is one of the few airports in the country that has military jets also stationed there. So, it, it is a, it's a it's really a fascinating airport. Excellent.
1: So, you finally arrive in your destination uh, location or your destination airport. Is that Reykjavik? Reykjavik. Yes. Okay. Now, did you actually stay directly in Reykjavik? Uh, did you have any pre-vacation destination locations? What, what? How? How did that work out for you?
2: I did not stay in Reykjavik when I first got there. Um, a lot, of, most people do. I chose not to uh, because I don't like doing what most people do. Uh, I arrived, uh, you, you get in about six 30, o'clock in the morning. Um, I headed straight for the rental car line, which, you know, the rental car, getting your rental car always takes a bit of time. You know, all the flights are arriving at the same time. Uh, grabbed my rental car and hit the road. And, uh, I didn't stay in Reykjavik until the end of my trip. Uh, I I, I chose to hit, you know, get out of town uh, first thing.
1: Excellent. And um, did you go through, like, with your uh, initial accommodations, uh, was that through Airbnb? Was it through a hotel chain? How do you typically reserve your rooms?
2: I typically do Airbnb. Um, I'm a super host myself here in Portland, so, uh, you know, I – I get it. I get how it works, and I really, really like it. Also, in a country like Iceland, with limited hotel availability, something like Airbnb is going to be your best bet. Great idea. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Now, now, the first night, just to just to throw this out there, the very first night, I ended up having to stay in a hotel. Um, and, and again, you know, everything is very expensive there. So, but the hotel was a little over a hundred dollars, which was to me was reasonable. And it was right across from the geyser, the uh, with, oh, you know God springs. The original, the original Old Faithful, I should say. <laughs> um, where it's older, where we older, get the word. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's where we get the word geyser from. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it's called. And you know, it was. they were there were three different categories in this hotel. I wanted the least expensive. Uh, they were cabins, like duplex cabins. Absolutely lovely. Highly recommend it.
1: Excellent. So, so let's let's talk about your itinerary. I'm really curious where are the places that you went on this excursion?
2: Well, um, I constantly you know, some people uh, do too much in, in too little time and I don't advise that. Um, I tend to want a little bit more immersion. So you can do the entire ring road and the entire ring road if you which is it's, it's Iceland's road, it's you know really their only road. Um, it's highway one. It's a two lane, you know, double, double carriageway a very small road. It looks like a rural, rural road, but it is, it is their highway. And you can literally, if you just drove that you could do the entire country in 12 hours. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, the population of Iceland is 339 odd thousand people. So <laughs> It's, it's inconceivable. I know my, my the, you know, I live in the suburbs of Portland and I think we have more people here.
1: I live in Orange so, County, California, and we easily have more than that in our in our area. Uh,
2: Los Angeles, I think has 11 million. Yeah. So, exactly. so yeah. Um, it, it's mind boggling. So yes, you can do that. Don't do that. Uh, I had six days. I concentrated on the South and the Southeast ring road. Uh, next time I go, I'll be going back next September uh, with my wife on the way to a wedding in London and we're going to do the North and, and, and that way it will see a different part. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, so I concentrated because there's so much to see. You're not going to just get in a car and drive. You're going to be stopping. You're going to be looking, you're going to be experiencing and, and don't shortchange yourself.
1: Now you're a photographer. By nature, I yeah. mean, apart from apart from being a professor, you also have yeah. beautiful pictures, and we'll show. We're going to give our viewers a little bit of a sneak peek of those in just a second. But you have some amazing photography. So, so from your perspective, and based on many of the destinations that you've been to throughout the world over the years that you've traveled, would you say, from a from a nature standpoint, this is probably one of the best locations?
2: Oh, top five. Okay. Easily, top five. And I, you know, I, I consider myself a cultural photographer. That's, that's really what I go by. Um, as far as photographing culture, there was less to photograph. Uh, as far as photographing uh, nature, I don't think my camera ever left my hand. It, oh. it just, you know, there, there's every, everywhere you look, to the right, to the left, there's, there's just something gorgeous to take a photograph of. It's oh. stunning.
1: Beautiful.
2: It's unfoiled And that's, that's, that's the catch.
1: Okay. So you'll never get the same picture twice, basically.
2: No, no, you you wouldn't because it, everything is so, so vibrant and, and alive. It's, you know, it's constantly changing and evolving. I mean, this is not this is a country that was formed as an island from volcanic eruption, from the two tectonic plates splitting and lava flowing through it. So it's, when they call it the land of fire and ice, they're not kidding.
1: Yeah. So, in fact, there was a volcanic eruption a couple of years ago right there in Iceland that had most air travel yes. to Europe halted for at least I think a couple of days, if I'm remembering. That
2: correct. was tw- 2010. Yeah, 2010. There was a massive uh, volcanic eruption.
1: But again, nobody was hurt. There wasn't any such no. like that. But it was just no. again disruptive a little bit. So,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, what did we say earlier in this in this podcast about nature? <laughs> <laughs> you can never plan for it. That's
2: right.
1: So you spent, um, what was it, you said six days in Iceland?
2: Six days,
1: Yeah. Okay, and you had one day where it was a hotel, uh, but then were the rest of it pretty much Airbnbs along the way, or
2: how did yeah. that go? everything Everything else was Airbnb, which I did book in advance. Um, you know, if it's shoulder season, you probably could wing it a little bit. One of the things you can do that a lot of people do is they rent campers. Uh, Because of the shortage in accommodation in Iceland, it's become a thing where they rent these campers. And, you know, I I just can give you one called Happy Campers, but there are many out there. And I I spoke to a few people doing that, and they said it was fantastic. They they would pull off into a campsite, $5 a night per person. Uh, There were showers and, yeah, so – so if if you're a little bit more adventurous, which I, you know I wouldn't be opposed to doing myself at some point, um, I, that's a fantastic option. The the only problem with that is um, there are going to be certain roads, certain sites that you may not be able to see driving a minivan type camper. That's that's the drawback.
1: That makes sense. So you
2: travel all the way
1: around uh, the south. Um, you hit some really nice spots. Again, we'll show some people uh, pictures of those in just a second, and then it's time to head on back to your point of origin, which is Reykjavik. Now, when you were Reykjavik, did you do any? Uh, I, I know you say you're not really more of one of these pre-planning excursion people, but did you see the cathedral, or did you, um, you know, did you t- take in a dip in the springs, anything like that, while you were out there?
2: Um, I did actually. Uh, luckily, and I. Okay, I planned it. Um, I, I had a great Airbnb that was literally a half a block from the cathedral. Okay. Um, and then once you hit the cathedral, you just walk down the street and you're in the center of Reykjavik. You're in Old Town Reykjavik. Um, so, yeah, I, I went up the cathedral. Uh, well worth going up there. I, I got just some fantastic views of, of the entire city and port of Reykjavik. Well worth doing. Uh, the cathedral itself is it, it, it's new it was built in the 80s but it, it's an architectural marvel it's really very beautiful and iconic um, and then yeah I, I mean I did take a uh, a tour a, uh, I did a whale watching tour there oh, wouldn't right. recommend it uh, hmm. I would because you're not gonna you're really it's really hard to see the whales there I would re, I would recommend doing a whale watching trip much further north than there's another town Don't. Don't ask me to pronounce the name. <laughs> yeah, they're
1: really <laughs> long.
2: Yeah. Oh, they're brutal. Um, it, it, you know, so I would recommend doing oil watching trip up there as opposed to Reykjavik, but I had time to kill. So I went ahead and did it. Um, I also um, I did something else in Reykjavik. And now I can't remember what
1: it was. Let me stop you there. I want to just ask a couple questions really quick. Um, did you happen to see any puffins while you were out there and by any chance? No, it was not puffin season. Okay, just checking. And then uh, one thing I want to talk about is maybe while you were in Reykjavik, uh, what the what the fare was like, what the food was like? because I think when most people travel, they have certain expectations on food. It's a colder climate, so my guess is that you're going to get a lot more hearty foods there and maybe a lot of fish in Reykjavik.
2: It's more. Not less, less in the hearty, uh, okay. ironic, um, but more in seafood. And, um, while it may appear pricey, it's fantastic. I, 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 I could live off of Icelandic food. <laughs> um, Arctic char, uh, which is, it, it's similar, it's in the salmon family. Mm-hmm. Um, salmon, Icelandic lobster, which, uh, we know as langoustine. Uh, just the idea wasn't any meal like fish and chips everywhere you go. Uh, you know, Arctic cod or, or Atlantic cod. The, anywhere you go, there's not a bad meal to be had.
1: And again, service was good, I'm hoping.
2: Service was fantastic. And, you know, you don't tip there, it's all inclusive. So, you know, the, the service, I, I found it to be fantastic. The Icelandic people are very lovely. Uh, you know, they're not incredibly warm people, but uh, w- when you talk to them, they're very nice. They're very lovely and accommodating, um, uh, very pleasant people.
1: Excellent. So now it's time
2: to head back to the States. So Wait, before, actually, b- wait, before, you, before we do that, sure. the Icelandic hot dog, don't ask. I don't know why it's a thing. It's like, it, I don't know if it's a national dish or it's just become something they love. It's really nothing special. Like from the hot dog? But you have to, but, but you have to eat one. <laughs> and you'll it's, you'll eat it and go, eh, but you know, it's more it's, of a we'll rite of
1: passage. It. Is that what you're saying?
2: It is a rite of passage. Yes.
1: Okay, that sounds fantastic. I, I, I will definitely look into it. But I hear the fish is, not just from you, but I've also heard the fish is actually very good
2: from a lot of other people too. So it's amazing. It's a, I, I'm a seafood lover. Mm Um, so I was in my element, but it, it, the, the seafood is, it's, you know, fresh from the hook to your plate. It's fantastic. Excellent.
1: Well, very good. So now we're on our way back. Um, what was the, uh, the disembarkation slash return process like, uh, what was passport control? Like, are you a global entry member? I mean, those are some things I think people would want to know about.
2: <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I have TSA pre-check, uh, but I don't have the global entry because I've never really needed it. Um, I have something called Mobile Passport, which I highly recommend. It is a, it's an app. It's fourteen ninety nine. You, within four hours, so typically when you land, you fill it out. Instead of filling out the customs declaration on the airplane, you do it on the app. You then go into a, a special line, uh, a mobile passport line, where you go through passport control and it took me all of five minutes. You show, you scan your app uh, onto the, uh, the, it gives you a receipt with a QR code. You scan it, they have a machine there. Mm-hmm. They look at it, they stamp your passport, welcome home, bye bye. <laughs> now not, not, it's fantastic. Now not all airports have the mobile passport. More and more are getting them. I think about twenty six do, and Portland is a recent adoptee. Okay,
1: very nice. So no, so ma- no major delays. And um, how long did it take you to get through passport control?
2: Um, it might have been two and a half minutes. Oh, but that's fast. Two fantastic. and a half to five. Yes, but again, Portland is a small airport. But 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 still, even even with that, because of the mobile passport application, I actually got through faster than people with Global Entry.
1: Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's actually really awesome. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to show people really quick, you shared some photos with me. Can you tell me a little bit about each of these three photos that you're sharing?
2: You bet. Um, the one on the right is a place called Kelenikos. Um Wow. I pronounced it. Uh, <laughs> Foss Fos means waterfall. So you, you'll get a lot of place names with Foss at the end. And it's not just because it is because there are so so many gorgeous waterfalls in that country. So that's the one on the right. Um, the one on the bottom left is uh, uh Glacier Lagoon, uh, a fascinating place. It's another place that I actually took a tour because, you know, I don't have my own boat. <laughs> so um, those kinds of tours, uh, you know, it was about $98, uh, well spent. I, I, You know, it's something I would advise people not to miss. Um, take a Zodiac boat on this l- glacier lagoon in order to get very close to the glacier and see these calving uh, glaciers. And it just happened to be a cloudy day, so we got extreme blues out of the ice, because that's, that's really the color of ice. You don't want to go on a sunny day, everything turns white. I'm
1: sorry, you said a
2: Zodiac boat? A Zodiac. It's like a little speedboat, okay. a little rubber speedboat. Yeah. Oh, okay. And where you- where you have to hold on to the rope and you know, as you go bouncing along, but it's um, because uh, this particular glacier lagoon didn't exist five uh, sorry fifty years ago. Um, it, it's sad in a way. Uh, climate change has affected it. It's now the glacier has receded about four and a half miles or eight kilometers back from the ocean. Um, that that lagoon never used to be there.
1: Okay, but it's beautiful. It absolutely is lovely. Oh
2: stunning and 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 hopefully you have a cloudy day with a little bit of rain uh the rain causes the glacier to calve which is when pieces of the ice come thundering down into the water and it, it's spectacular
1: i before and we, then, <clears throat> yeah. i'm sorry before we get into the aurora picture i want to point out also on the picture that you took of the waterfall it looks mm-hmm. like at the base of the waterfall there's a little dot um, of the smaller of the two waterfalls, I think that's actually a person. It is. <laughs> just it to is, give people some perspective
2: for, of yes, the size so left of the I that, of that in there for size comparison. Yeah. It is massive. They, these are not just little streams coming off of a hill. <laughs> Absolutely. That's
1: beautiful. And then, of course, this spectacular picture of the Aurora Borealis. That's just amazing. How lucky were you to get a picture of that?
2: I tell you, very lucky because um, it had been very cloudy. I ran into some people that were there from Israel. Actually, twelve days, never saw it. Very disappointed. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's a complicated way to um, to check for the aurora borealis. You, you know, you, you, there's something called a KP index. You have to look at the cloud cover. There are lots of apps and um, Icelandic places that you know. Um, websites that you go to, to figure this out. And I was in Reykjavik and as luck would have it, there was a small window. I jumped in my car and I headed outside of the city, um, about 40 minutes, you know, outside of the city, um, along with every other photographer and tour group (laughs) known to man. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I was able to catch it. Now, the clouds were coming in, as you can see in that photograph. It wasn't a clear sky, which is normally what you see when you see photographs of the aurora. Um, I, I happen to really enjoy the fact that there were some clouds giving it character. Yeah. And the reds are something you don't normally see because the eye can't see the reds as much. So the clouds helped that. helps the reds to come out. And that that there's nothing altered in that photograph. That that is straight from the camera.
1: It's spectacular. It's a beautiful photo. And I'm so happy you were able to get a picture of it. So just great job on that. Thank Um, you. So let's talk about post vacation. Let's talk about the takeaways that you took from this. Um what were some pros, what were some maybe not necessarily cons, but things that you that That Mm -hmm. you should be aware of and then maybe some value adds that you'd like to give to the students on this Um, maybe some cost savings measures or some best practices to look at
2: you bet Uh, the pros are it is a really great place to go especially if you are I mean if you like nature I can't say enough Uh, but even if you're not as mobile uh, it's a great place to go for People of any age, especially women traveling together or traveling alone, incredibly safe. Um, You will never feel uh, any type of, you know, precaution or nerves or anything at all. Um, Just so much to see. So uh, those are the pros. Uh, You know, try not to miss anything. Uh, Things to be aware of, uh, rental cars. Rental cars book very far in advance. Uh, you do not need a four-wheel drive or an SUV unless it's winter time. Now, if you choose to, that's great, but they are going to be a lot more expensive. Um, if you're sharing the cost, go for an SUV. I will tell you, it is the third most expensive country for gasoline. Mm-hmm. So be aware. If you get a car that that you know takes a lot more uh, gas or petrol. Uh, you're gonna, if you're gonna be spending a lot of money on gasoline. I, my particular car that I got was a, you know, the, not the lowest level, which is just for city driving, but the, the second one off the compact. And I was getting 48 miles to the gallon, so I think I filled up twice the entire time. Not bad. So I highly recommend that kind of car. Um, you know, be, be aware of the car companies. They will try and get you to buy a ton of extra insurance and they're really, really pushy about it. Yeah. So be aware about the, of that.
1: On that same note that you said with respect to gasoline, for, for my students who are uninitiated, who have not maybe been outside the country before, we're so used to seeing things here in the States being charged by the gallon for fuel but when you go abroad, when you're purchasing what they call, as Marissa said, petrol, um, oftentimes it's done by liter. And so when you're seeing something advertised at like four dollars or something per liter, don't equate it to gallons. It's not the same. It's, and you're going to end up spending more on fuel typically than you would here in the States.
2: Yeah, a great point, Scott. I mean, when, you know, they do charge by the liter, not by the gallon. In England, it's a little bit different. They charge by the imperial gallon because, you know, they're different like us. (laughs) But everywhere else is by the liter all over the world. And, you know, it would take for a half a tank because I I didn't like to get it anywhere below a half a tank. It, It would cost about $45, and that's a very, very small car. So it probably had a 10 gallon tank. So, you know, gas is very, very expensive, but you'd have to, you know, add that into your budget and just be prepared.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much for that information. It's really, really Mm -hmm. great. And by the way, thank you very much for appearing on our podcast and vlog today. It was really, really wonderful to have you on. Um, For people who want to know more about your various different journeys or to maybe even get a glimpse at some of your other picks, um, what is the best site that they could reach you at?
2: So, um they can reach uh, reach me at my uh the website there uh that you have there is a contact form in there and you can just fill out the contact form if you have any questions about any uh of the photographs or places I've been i like Scott said I've been all over the world been traveling since I'm eighteen and I'm no longer eighteen <laughs> 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 none of us are so, none of us are yeah. I've been traveling for multiple decades. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, that is the best place for them to reach me.
1: Wonderful. Well, again, I thank you so much for this. And then to my students, again, thank you so much. If you have any questions or concerns, comments that you'd like to make, please let me know. I can be either reached at scott at theprofessortravel.com or you can just go onto the website, theprofessortravel, hit the contact button and it will send you right over to me. In the meantime, again, um, by the way, uh, would you be willing to come back in the future to talk about some of your other adventures?
2: Absolutely. Next month, I'm on the way to Argentina and Patagonia to photograph uh, penguins.
1: Oh my goodness. That's going to be such a fun adventure. Well, we will definitely look (laughs) forward to hearing about that. Again, thank you so much. We look forward to it. And to my guests, to my students, make every wonderful trip that you make an excellent travel opportunity. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: The Professor Travel is a broadcast from Orange County, California. A transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting the Professor Travel at his website, theprofessortravel.com. For opportunities to work with the Professor Travel, feel free to contact Scott at theprofessortravel.com or contact us through YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook at Travel or Twitter at theprofessortr1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.